Is that you? Are you there? Welcome to Fate and Fortune. Join our fated as they traverse a perilous new world, seeking adventure, revenge, and safety, or at least something close to it. Featuring the vocal talents of Jed as Julius Ignis, Matt playing Sapper Carlson, and Nate as Owen Gunn. I, Danny Dawson, will be your humble guide, your keeper of destiny, your fate master in this narrative. Whether our cast find themselves in great fate, or perhaps slip into misfortune, we do hope to enjoy today's tale. Content warning. This prologue contains scenes of physical abuse towards minors, as well as alcoholism and death, including maternal death. We wanted to do a realistic reasoning for Erwine's character, and while this fits with the tones of the year 1880, it's quite likely to be distressing to hear for you. Please proceed with caution. Our place here is not to provide this as entertainment, but to provide an understanding of the character that we have created. Their mother had not survived Clear's birth. The brute had been working at the forge, biceps and deltoids surging as his hammer crashed down onto the blade of his own labour. He'd heard her cries, pounding the steel in time with her undulating voice, She'd already had one bastard child. She knew what she was doing better than he. The knife was far from perfect, and in this day and age just about every household carried a gun, blades carried only by professionals or for decoration. This was a fine-looking piece, but not built for long use. His final strike came to silence, and he pressed it to cool. After a brief wash of his face, patted down with an oil-soaked rag, he trudged through to the house at the back. Their eldest, who he had taken to call Carreg, the little stone, was his wife's child from before they had met, who was now peering over the bloodied bed. His cold eyes stared up at the towering man. Mam's gone sleep da. I think she's hurt. He rushed to his wife's side. Indeed, she had hurt, but no more pain could reach her now. The child had been birthed legs first, head yet to surface. Blood poured from her abdomen, and she was white as a ghost. To her bedside, the family soul stone. A red gem dulled with age, now gleaming brightly with the life force that it had now taken up. The room was red all over. The beast sunk to his knees and wept, rage filling his heart at his abandonment. His fist sank into the wooden floor, again and again, staining it with his own slick crimson. Da! Da! 
the little Karu cried, his tiny fists flailing at the meat of his thigh. The baby! The boy was right to have mentioned. The tiny feet twitched from beneath the woman's body, the last spark of life between the two of them. His child was holding on. The brute threw himself back to the forge, wrenching the new blade from its hold. He barged past Carrig, pushing him to the reddened floor as he took to the bed, knife ready at her waist. At twelve years of age, Claire was a sickly boy. He'd been no help to his father in the forge, and caught ill too readily to take up work elsewhere. Instead, he liked to read. His mother had been a mage in the Black Powder Wars in her prime, and she had tomes upon tomes on enchantment and necromantic magia. Seeing in detail the application and results of spells, here and in the long-lost world that once was tied to their own, the boy understood the possibilities better than anyone in his city. If only he had the power to use it. His big brother, who Dar still referred to as Carrig, had taken over the blacksmiths at sixteen, and had all but secured the family's income. Dar himself had taken to an early retirement, preferring the stench of alcohol to the tang of iron billowing from the forge. His only interaction with the boys through slurred and drooling lips, muttering obscenities as his hatred bowled off his tongue gazing at the soulstones set into their Mars urn, the magic within shining a brilliant red as if it were living and breathing. His brother had told him why Daha was so bitter, that their Ma had died giving birth to him, and that the boar was taking the blame out on the two of them. If only his brother knew. The hours of a blacksmith are long and loud. Hisses, grinding and bubbling, and the striking of an anvil loud enough to cover any such sounds as the fists of their father being brought down on the sickly, weakened frame of clear. But the child held on. He knew the beast's rage was fueled by the loss of his most treasured person, and he knew soon that that time would come to an end. Mars tomes held guides on both magic and mundane methods of shaping the world around them, including a great bounty on medicinal herbs, and the boy had committed the plants and their effects to memory, one of which could be ground to form a powerful narcotic. It wasn't too difficult to spread the powder around the rim of Dar's bottle. Once the lumbering giant was asleep, the boy collected the essentials, chalk from the forge, Twelve wax candles, some naturally dropped feathers of a raven collected from the garden, five pomegranates, and Marzern. He drew the circle out first, his quaking hands doing their best to keep to the leather-bound tome's instructions. The master bedroom was the only room in the house large enough to contain the circle, and he'd had to use all of his might to heave the empty bed frame on its side against the wall. Two large outer circles, one for him to stand within, and the next to focus the spell. Shapes and sigils in a language the books had referred to as Neverborn Script 
were now etched into the inner circle surrounding the urn glowing with that perfect soulstone. The feathers used to replace the candle wicks and the four pomegranates carved in half. Four? Where was the fifth? The boy panicked, checking every corner before remembering his brother talking about eating a bad orange today. No, he, he'd need another, which meant heading out to the grocers, which meant leaving the circle unattended for two hours. No, no, it would be okay. Carrig was far from done with his work, and so long as the narcotics held, Dal would be down for a while yet. So Clear ran, his awkward legs twisting as he took forward, shoes beating on the damp Welsh soil. Pomegranates were dear, and to think his brother would just throw it away showed how much a lack of reading could affect someone's appreciation for the world beyond their own town. It had been two grocers before he'd found one, and three before one he could afford. He considered stealing from the second, but he doubted Ma would want that, and seeing as this was all for her, well, he moved on. The picketers were crying out again, Welsh borderers pressing back against the English taxation that only served its own cities. The crowd forced Clear to take a side route, again another delay. Heat rose to his ears as his heart churned in his chest. It was too late now to even clear the room. This would need to be the day for sure. Stampeding through the front of the blacksmiths, he didn't stop to acknowledge Carrick. He'd almost made it to the door when the time made itself known by ways of their cuckoo clock. No. No, 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 it couldn't be. Clear swiped a horseshoe nail and hammer, quickly slamming the bedroom door before driving the spike into its frame. He broke the pomegranate in two, its halves placed into their designated spaces in the circle. Everything was ready. He opened the spell books. Combining Major was something Mar had been well versed in the study of, but apparently he had never successfully tried. So this was a first for the guns. The language of the Neverborn was not a natural sound to human ears. Clicks and snarls sounding more akin to beasts who spoke from their core, rather than jumbled and reorganised by the machinations of their mind. He had taught himself what he was able, but in the end he realised that intent played a much larger part than the specifics, and he felt more intention than he ever had. As he spoke, grass-like wisps seemed to sprout from the circle, breaking off and lifting slowly into the air. They would spiral around him, energies of life spilling from the floorboards. The motes converged above the jar, the pulses from the soulstone bleeding into the shapes above it. Shapes that smoothed and melted into one, one entity, one face. A ghostly green visage of the woman from the family photo of Carrig, her and Dar. She smiled down at her child, having watched his trials from above, knowing what was to come. His trembling legs fell in his own band around the circle, palms raised toward the urn. Ashes blew from their container, wrapping in a small tornado in the rough approximation of a body. He could see it, see the hands solidifying, the ashes spreading to cover more and more. 
Her face began to cry tears of joy, ready to reunite with her earthbound form. The nail wasn't nearly wedged in enough. The gust from the open door blew the ashes from the circle, the face turning to a wail of sadness. The hulking beast in its frame seethed. His murmuring speech took a grave tone, a new, silent rage spilling from his every pore. Eyes took in the open urn, the soulstone now dull. The spirit of his wife crying out without voice to him. His son had destroyed her rest. That's what he had thought. And now he will see the same. The fists that beat the boy were not that of a father attempting some misguided deliverance of growth to a son. They were those thrown in a fight against an adult. Bones shattered, teeth cracked, and wails of pain soared through the building. Was it not enough that you killed her already? That you had to do it again? My son! My son! Look at you! Couldn't you have just kept out of those damn books and done nothing to help this pitiful body of yours? God, even your bastard brother is more like me, and he's not even mine! The gargant grabbed clear by his blood-ridden shirt, lifting the limp body from the ground to force their gazes to meet. I should have let you suffocate inside her. The hammer connected with the side of Dar's head. The shock enough to have him roll sideways. But he wasn't out cold. He growled, turning on the old boy. Sweat on his brow. Oil on one fist. Hammer firmly gripped in the other. Get away from him, Da. Karig, get out of this room, the drunkard rumbled. This didn't seem to be in order, but the offer of a last chance. Instead, Clear's brother dove for him again, bringing his own fist to the Goliath's chin in an uppercut. The young man roared at the one who raised him, ready to make him suffer as he had Clear. But the brute was too strong. For while he could only throw one punch for the boy's three, each hit from him was like being hit by a sledge, throwing his victim across the room. His little carrig pulled back, face swollen and cut. The hammer in his grasp now the only way he could break the wall of meat before him. He poured all of his energy into the blunt instrument, flinging it in an overhead swing, aiming straight for Dar's temple. A death throw. The metal of the hammer punched through much softer skull, ending the life it made contact with. If only Dar hadn't have moved. If only Clear wasn't behind him. The older boy screamed in pain over what he had done. Da reeling from the lifeless body of his child, rage cleared like a water pail emptied. He sank to his knees and furthered the bloody dents in the floorboards. You and me, Carrick, we're done. You get the hell out of my house.
the older boy's eyes were pouring with tears, choking on the saliva that filled his bloodied mouth. He spat across the room at the Hulk's head. Blood splattered onto the urn. Red Soulstone once again taken up a life within. You call me by my name, or not at all. Get the fuck out, Owain. And there we have it, Owain Gunn's origin story. Come back next time for the fated making their way to the fighting theatre of Ringside. Owain has some steam to vent. As we continue, Kareg. Until then, stay safe, listeners. No, really. Stay safe.